102.5 FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Elliot Brookman, professor and expert on motivational factors that contribute to the success and failure of personal goals. We will be talking about how best to create and sustain new habits or goals for the coming year. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Berkman. Thank you for having me. With the start of the new year, people make personal resolutions and goals that they want to set for themselves and improve their lives. And studies are showing that most people's resolutions fall off by the third week of January. Why is this? Well, goals uh, and behavior change in general are, are difficult. It's I, the primary, I mean, there's a number of reasons. I would say the, the single biggest factor contributing to the difficulty um, is the fact that in many ways we as, as humans uh, are kind of built to form habit. And uh, habits have a lot of upside. They make our, our daily life much more efficient. Um, but at the same time, they work against um, any kind of new behavior that you might want to engage in. Um, takes kind of constant effort and focus to engage in something that is not habitual behavior. And so to the extent that your goal, your New Year's resolution requires you uh, to do something new, which usually does, that means that you're going to be kind of working uphill, if you will, working against your natural tendency to uh, engage in habitual behavior. Does the way you set the goal make a difference, like how big of a leap you're trying to make? Yes, it, it, it truly does. Um, we know from a lot of research that not just what kind of goal you set, um, how ambitious, for example, how big the change is, as you noted, but also how you think about the goal itself. Um, what are the exact terms that you use to describe the goal uh, to yourself and to others, those kinds of things. But certainly, um, yeah, I mean, bigger goals are harder to achieve because simply because they require changing more, um, changing more different aspects of your life and so forth. But goals that involve, you know, smaller changes um, are more feasible, especially if they don't involve changing things that are uh, really sort of deeply ingrained habits. So then how do you overcome the old and form the new? That's a great question, um, and that's, uh, you know, it's, it's something that psychologists have focused on quite a bit, this question of habit formation. How do you build new habits? Um, in many ways, I, I find a helpful way of thinking about goals is that it's when you're trying to change your behavior, you really have, you're doing two things. You're doing something new, which, as we noted, is hard and effortful, um, and you're trying to not do the old thing. Um, right, which is in some ways a separate beast. You're, you're trying to create a new habit on the one hand and also uh, avoid engaging in the old habit. Um, and there's, there are certain strategies that can complement uh, each other. So, for example, changing your context, going into a new place or restructuring your, your world or your life physically and kind of uh, psychologically um, helps with both. So, for example, it's, it's fairly well documented that it is easier to engage in new behaviors. It's easier to change your habits when you're in a new context. Um, so whether that means, you know, you've moved uh, or, or maybe you've just retired and the structure of your daily life is very different. Um, those moments are really ripe for behavior change because uh, they're the cues to engage in the habitual behavior that, the old, the old behavior, try not to do, um, sometimes they're not there as much. Um, and then you can start to kind of create new habits in that kind of virgin territory uh, that, that can then become kind of your new uh, daily routine. So a great example is, let's say I've just retired and I'm a cigarette smoker and I'm trying to quit smoking. Well, 
for many smokers, um, one of the first cigarettes they might have is when they get in their car in the morning to go to work. So if I retired and I'm no longer getting in my car after I have breakfast to go to work, well, now that's a great opportunity because I'm not going to be triggered to smoke in that situation. Maybe instead I'm going to go for a walk with my partner. Well, again, so that's a great opportunity to say, let's create a new habit here. So now when I go for a walk, you know, maybe I'll uh, chew gum or uh, something, you know, something else like that. So it sounds like to overcome the old, you need to remove the triggers, the previous triggers or reminders or as a muscle memory of what you would do over and over again? Yeah, absolutely. Removing triggers is, is a great way not only of changing old habits, but then also creating new triggers, uh, new habits that then become associated with the new behavior that you want to do. So the, the essential ingredients in a habit are a cue or a trigger, as you say, um, and then the behavior itself. So what is the thing you want to do? And then a reward, um, something that feels good or is, is, you know, in any way rewarding. Those three things kind of all paired together uh, over a few repetitions will cause, uh, will create a new habit. So, yes, get rid of the old triggers that are, are sort of prompting you to engage in that old behavior you don't want to do. But then also at the same time, create, create some new triggers for yourself and then reward yourself. Uh, so if I'm that smoker who's just retired, instead of getting in my car, going to work, having a cigarette on the way, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to do something healthy, and then I'm going to reward myself um, in, in some way uh, to, to reinforce that behavior. But isn't it also about memory? Because we have this muscle memory, you know, is to get up in the morning. And let's say the first thing you do is you have coffee, right? And then you want to stop having coffee. But that's the first thing your body knows to do in the morning is to get up and have coffee. Right. So let's say you have this muscle memory that's like kind of prompting you because out of habit. Is there anything we can do physically or what is it physiologically that we would need to do if that's something that I guess physically prompted to do? Yeah, and I agree. I mean, that's what what you're describing as muscle memory, I think – you know, in psychology, we would we might just call the habit or part of the habit. Um, and yeah, it's, so I think there, your body or your mind, if you will, if it's a, if it's a habit of mind, right? If it's thinking in a certain way, for example, um, are going to kind of be prompted to to go in a certain direction, right? We have these kind of tracks, uh, ruts, right, that we get in. Um, and so, anything you can do to um, kind of po- impose external uh, limits on yourself would be can be really helpful so changing the environment yeah maybe it means you know uh putting your whatever it is that's tempting you further away from yourself so you have to make a kind of conscious decision um in order to go get it um for a lot of people it's about you know putting reminders of of the behavior that you want to do um in in your way so for example having your you know your gym bag or your running shoes somewhere that you're going to have to see them and you're going to have to do something about that in order to uh, go on with your day. So I heard that if you do something for 21 days, it becomes a habit. Do you think that's long enough time? I think it can be. Um, I think the, the, the length of how long it takes something to become a habit can be uh, much longer than 21. It can be much shorter than 21 days, depending on who you are and what you're trying to change. Um, and as we said, the context. So if I'm, for example, on uh, vacation in an entirely new place where I've never been, so I don't have a lot of pre-existing uh, triggers for behavior, and I don't have any kind of routines and habits built up in that place, maybe after two or three days, I have formed a new routine, right? a new habit where now I know, you know, in this uh, Airbnb that I'm renting, here's how I get up and get coffee, and now it's a habit very quickly. Um, on the other hand, Right. If I've been living in the same context or doing the same thing for years and years and years, I'm trying to change something fairly substantial. I could imagine it might take uh, months. But yes, I mean, in general, I think the rule is the extent to which you engage in a behavior in a context and it gets rewarded uh, repeatedly, whether it be for three weeks or three months or three days, uh, is is the root you're on on track for habit formation? So what you're saying is try to remove the previous triggers as much as possible, or kind context that's going to cue you to do what you were doing before. 
Yes. That would be the first step. Yep. And then the second step would be create new context and new triggers for your new behavior. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then the third step would be to make sure that when you engage in that new behavior that uh, you're rewarded. It's reinforced. Okay. And then how do you decide what's the appropriate reward that will motivate you to keep going? (laughs) That's a that's a great question. Um, I mean, and that's an answer. The, the answer is really, it has to be very individual. For some people, uh, it's as simple as uh, taking a moment to pause and reflect that, uh, you know, hey, what I've just done is a step towards my goal, and, and I'm, you know, becoming a better me, or I'm becoming the person that I really want. For other people, maybe it's some something really concrete and tangible. Maybe it's a primary reward. So maybe I'm not trying to drink coffee. But, um, you know, I really like dark chocolate, and so I'm going to have a piece of dark chocolate when I, when I skip the coffee. Um, for, for others still, maybe it's, um, maybe it's money. Maybe it's financial. Um, and there's, there's actually software. There's websites out there um, that can help you do this. You, you can elect to, for example, put money into an escrow account. Um, and, you know, when you change your behavior, whatever your goal might be, if it's losing weight or exercising, and you can verify it by having a sort of a third-party referee say you've done it, then you, you get your money back or, you, can, you know, it gets donated to some cause that you, uh, that you really like. It sounds like you have to have a plan, let's say a vision or an overall plan, and then, then you have daily milestones tied to it. Is that the best way to think about breaking down the goal? Yeah, that, that would be a, a great way to think about it. Um, planning is... It's really important, and it's often an over. And, and on the one hand, it seems kind of logical and obvious. On the other hand, you know, I think a lot of people go into New Year's resolutions without a plan, right? They kind of wake up on January first and say, you know, hey, this year my resolution was to lose ten pounds, and so, you know, now I'm going to just start doing that. Um, but that's, you know, as as you noted, that's one one of the reasons people sort of fail so quickly. Um, uh, taking a little time to plan out, well, what does that actually look like? You know, what are the milestones? And, you know, thinking ahead, what am I going to be doing, uh, you know, this week or next week in terms of eating, exercise, um, will we'll remove a lot of the, the barriers. Um, as I noted earlier in our conversation, anytime you're engaging in a new behavior, that's hard. Uh, we have to use parts of our brain that are... Uh, kind of limited in a sense, like our, our ability to focus our attention on something or to hold information in memory. Those are limited capacity uh, parts of our brain. And anytime you're doing new behavior, you're using those. Planning is a way of kind of preloading or offloading that work um, to a different time. So you don't have to do it on the fly, right? If I plan it out and I know, hey, on January 1st, when I wake up, you know, I'm going to go for a jog and I've even set up everything in my room so that when I wake up, I've got, you know, everything I need right there that will serve as a cue. Then I don't have to pause and use those effortful brain regions to think about what I'm going to do. What about accountability? I would think you have to count, you have to build in some kind of accountability, right? Whether someone holds you accountable, I mean, it's harder to hold yourself accountable. Yeah. Accountability can be a, a great tool. I wouldn't say it's essential necessarily, but it, it can be really, really helpful uh, for many people. Um, and we've now, we being you know, psychologists, um, have done studies looking at accountability um, to others um, in various forms. So, for example, uh, people who announce their goals on social media um, and are, are more likely to stick to them. And the more specific, the more concrete the goals they announce on social media, they're even more likely to, to stick to them. So if they say I'm going to lose a pound a week, it's more likely to happen than to say I'm going to lose 10 pounds. And then there's no exact completion date or just 10 pounds this year, right? Exactly. It could be the entire year. year. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. What kind of ingredients have to be in the plan for it to work really well? A good plan will have, they can become very elaborate, but I would say at least two pieces the essential pieces would be um, a, a context for the behavior, whether it be a, you know, a time, a place, a situation. 
plus the specific behavior that you're gonna that you're gonna do. And I mean, you could we could say more, but I would I would say that those are the two essential things. So if I say my plan for losing weight is to exercise, what I would want to say is, well, you know, when and where am I going to exercise, and exactly what am I going to do? Um, and then, of course, we could build in additional components, like, well, what are the, the sort of cues that I know are going to help me form a habit, and what are the rewards that I'll associate with that? Um, but having, a, you know, a, t- a time, place, context, and then a specific actionable uh, behavior. Do you think people tend to overestimate or underestimate what they're capable of when they have a goal? Yes. Yeah. People, uh, people do in general tend to overestimate what they're maybe not what they're capable of, but certainly what they are, are likely to accomplish within a, a specific time frame. And this is something uh, people learn pretty quickly. So a way to, to get a little bit better at estimating your, uh, your kind of work capacity or your behavior change capacity would be to uh, just simply start tracking it. Um, and people are often pretty surprised. Uh, when they start tracking how they spend their time, uh, how much effort they're really putting into a, a particular uh, new resolution or a new goal. Um, but you can learn. I mean, the upshot is, we're, you know, we're over-optimistic about our abilities to do new things. Um, but over time, you can calibrate and, and you can become quite accurate. So then I would imagine it, it becomes a downer because it's too hard to accomplish your goal or your new habit, right? Maybe the solution is to adjust it? Yeah, you, you want to adjust it. And, and it's, you, you probably have heard advice to start small um, in any kind of behavior change. And I'd say that's, that's always good advice um, for New Year's resolutions too, which is, you know, start small, uh, get small wins under your belt or small steps. Um, and, and again, that's, that's, a, that's good advice because it helps circumvent our natural tendency to, to overestimate how much we can do, gets around that problem. But then it also makes sure that there's rewards. If you set a very small, easily attainable goal, even if it's not quite as easy as you thought it was, if you can still get there, um, that'll be, you know, kind of a, a quick win, right? It'll be a small reward for doing that behavior. And then you can build up. So certainly I do think, you know, a best practice would be start small and build up rather than, you know, shoot high and then adjust down from there. Um, though in reality, that's something that we, we often end up doing. What are the hardest goals to set? That's a great question. Um, some of them, I, I mean, it's, it's different for everyone, um, but we could draw some general principles. I mean, the, the goals that are hard to set would be, you know, changing behavior that, that is longstanding. Um, behavior that is uh, sort of a, a strongly reinforced. And something I would say a, a third feature of goals that are hard to change would be um, something that's really deeply embedded into our, our self-concept. So changing the way you think about yourself, any kind of behavior change. So if I tend to think about myself, for example, as, as a lazy person, and I've decided my New Year's resolution is to exercise more well at least for me that that resolution is going to involve not just changing my behavior but really actually changing the way i think about who i am i need to sort of overcome my self-image as a lazy person and to think about how can i start to think about myself as a as an active person or at least maybe a lazy person who also you know does physical activity sometimes right we, we need to find a way to reconcile that um, and so for many people, the, the goals that are harder to change then become things like cigarette smoking, um, eating, eat, you know, changing our eating behaviors. Uh, those two are, are quite common. Um, and actually physical activity. Um, all because, you know, for example, if you talk to smokers, they think about themselves as a smoker. That's sort of part of their identity. Um, and especially if they've been doing it for a long time. And so becoming you know, learning to, to stop smoking is more than just actually breaking that physical habit, which is hard enough on its own, um, but also changing the way to think about myself as, well, I'm not, you know, now I'm a former smoker or a non-smoker. 
um, which which can be you know quite a lift. It sounds like you really need to know yourself and what yeah. you're capable and not capable of. Then want to really know yourself? I would phrase it not so much about what you're capable or not capable of, but understanding what are going to be the the pain points for you individually. Um, and on the flip side, also thinking about what's going to be really rewarding for you individually, right? Is it going to be rewarding for me just to, to is that going to be sufficient just to know that I'm taking steps towards this or do I need something more, right? Do I need to really try to very concretely reinforce myself? And the pain points too, thinking about, you know, being honest with myself, well, it's like, well, how much do I really want to think about myself as an active person? Is that something I really care about? Or if, if I somehow achieve this goal, you know, how, how valuable would that be to me? Um, and, and if it's not, those, those are the, the, the things that are going to be um, challenges, not insurmountable ones, but ones that you're going to have to spend some time, as we've discussed, really planning out and thinking through uh, how you're going to make this, how this becomes a feasible plan in your life. So you have to realize that if you're a lazy person, it's going to be harder to become active overnight. And let's say, take yourself to the gym every morning, because it's right. not, it's not something that you typically do. And you have to ask yourself, am I really up for this challenge? And I'm up for all the pain points that are going to be involved in making that happen. And really like exerting that extra effort. Yeah. No, that's right. And and one other thing I would say is, um, you know, thinking about on, on the point of knowing yourself, it, it's often a worthwhile exercise to ask, well, why, why am I, you know, sort of the way I am currently, right? So if I if I'm say inactive and my goal is to be more active, I might say, well, why am I inactive, right? Is it is it sort of, you know, just happenstance? Is it just because of the situation I found myself in? Um, or is it something deeper, right? Maybe it's, um, you know, everyone around me is like this and, you know, my whole life I've sort of, uh, been brought up to, to be this way. And you know, I think of myself as, as part of this culture of inactivity. Um, if that's a thing, you know, and, and so really kind of getting to know yourself and, and the reasons for acting, because this is coming from this perspective from clinical that, psychology, which is that, you know, a lot of behaviors are, are motivated in some way, or, or at least they, they kind of make sense for us, right? Behaviors make sense, even ones that we sometimes think of as maladaptive, um, you know, overeating or using substances, they, they do something for us. So w what is it that that behavior is doing for me? Um, and really trying to kind of get at the root cause of that, if, if indeed, you know, there is one, um, and trying to kind of tackle that or at least deal with it in some way before trying to change it. So it sounds like it's easier to set goals that are closer to who you are than who you're not. Yeah, I agree with that, yes. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and thank our underwriters. Be back on success in setting personal goals and habits with Elliot Berkman. Did you resolve this year to contribute more to your community? Get involved with a worthwhile nonprofit? Be more chill and not let the world get you down? Well, you can do all three of those by partnering up with us here at People Powered Independent Radio KXSF. Join our volunteer community and help us out here at KXSF. Become an underwriter of KXSF programming or just make a tax-deductible donation that will keep us on the air through 2020. To find out more, go online to www.kxsf.fm. You'll find more information as well as our donate button. Thanks for supporting KXSF, 102.5 FM, San Francisco. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. I was talking with Elliot Berkman before the break about setting successful goals personally. So let's start with the top resolutions or habits that are most people have going into the new year. One of the toughest ones seems to be losing weight. How can we lose weight and sustain it? Because it's a constant, it's not as if you can lose 10 pounds and stay there, right? It's, it's sustaining it that's also equally challenging. Yeah, that's, that's right. I would say, yes, there are differences between 
that kind of initial change, right? Getting yourself to just act in a different way than you've acted before. Um, and then that kind of later phase um, that we might call maintenance or, or, or endurance, right? Sort of getting, getting that behavior change to, to stick. Um, and so whether it be eating or physical activity, you know, there's, we can make changes in the short term, um, often just by kind of good planning or using our prefrontal cortices to kind of come up with new ways of, of moving through the world. Um, but then the, the kind of durability of, of those behavior changes are going to really depend on how well we've formed habits and how well we've restructured our world to kind of remove cues for the old behavior. What would you recommend? Let's say 10 pounds seems like a lot, right? So do you start with one pound at a time? Starting, yes, yeah, starting small, um, planning up front, thinking about the way that you're going to change. And again, I think with, with dieting, I think it's intuitive, and most people might have experienced this, right? You can do it in, in the short run. I'd say the real challenge with maintaining any kind of behavior would be how do you restructure your world so that, that you know, your, kind of, your world then nudges you into that new behavior instead of the old one? And a lot of the challenges can be kind of the way our world or our environment is structured. A lot of them end up being social. Um, a lot of them end up being, you know, well, where am I going to go to eat or what kinds of foods am I going to find in my household um, with, with my friends and with my family? Um, and if I'm the only one changing the way I'm eating, but everyone else around me is still kind of on that old path, well, then I'm going to, you know, in the long run, I'm going to find myself surrounded by cues and triggers to, to you know, go go onto that old path. Um, and each time I'm tempted to do that, I'm going to have to use these quite limited prefrontal, you know, resources to kind of redirect myself away from those. Um, in the long run, that's, that's an uphill battle that, uh, you know, more often than not will, will fail. Um, and so I'd say for, for maintenance, it really is about, you know, either bringing people along with you, or, or really changing the way you interact with people so that, so that you know, your, your world supports your new behavior. So it's much more complicated because of environmental factors. And if you want to socialize, you're probably going to end up eating and drinking more. Or you can choose not to socialize so you can lose that weight, it sounds like. Right, right, right. Or, or socialize with different people. But again, that's, that's really hard. I mean, that's a, that's a much bigger challenge all of a sudden. Um, but it certainly is one of the reasons, you know, why, as we as we spoke about earlier, behavior change can be so hard. It's it's that well, if I'm a smoker, you know, I can sort of sit here on my own and and you know decide to quit and get rid of all, all my cigarettes and all the cues. But then, of course, you know, I'm a smoker. It means I've probably been hanging out with other smokers. And then when they want to, you know, go get together, well, their world is still structured around, you know, well, let's go to a restaurant or a bar or something where. It's easy to smoke, and, you know, so I'm going to be sort of sucked back in. Um, of course, you know, if that's my social network, you know, those are my friends. I don't want to uh, completely remove myself from that. Um, and so then it becomes quite difficult. So it sounds like you, in the beginning, or if you're really committed, you need to remove as much influences as possible, either, you know, for a length of time or maybe even replace it altogether for yeah. it to be successful. Yep. Or wait, a, a third way would be to kind of wait for an opportunity um, where your environment is going to change naturally or, or was going to change anyway, if it will. So I, I brought up retirement, for example. So that's a, that's a good um, kind of case in, in many people's lives, uh, if you're fortunate enough to retire, um, where, you know, your social world does get restructured. You know, you're spending a lot less time with your coworkers, for example, all of a sudden, and maybe you're spending more time with other people. And those are points where there's sort of a natural re, you know, reorientation or restructuring of our world. Um, this happens if you move um, to a new city or a new, uh, new location. Um, there, there's all these kinds of inflection points where if you have something like that coming up, that's a great opportunity to uh, kind of, you know, build in new cues to, to new behaviors if you want to change. 
Or, or it sounds like you will have to create it yourself. So let's say you just start joining a running club, right? Mm-hmm. right. And now you're surrounded by runners and you're being pushed to run. I mean, it sounds like or else you have to just completely dramatically change your environment to yeah. make yeah. it <laughs> no, kind of right. fit into right. your new, you know, your new model of what you want your life to be. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, you know, it sounds fairly dramatic, but but I'd agree with that. Um, and you know, it, it's not to say you need to change everything. I think there there are probably smart ways to do that, um, where you where you very kind of strategically select the things that you want to change. Um, so, a running club is a great example. So, you join a running club, and so that's you know, hopefully that can become sort of a new part of who you are and a new part of who you hang out with. And then maybe you want to just pick one or two features of your life, you know, not the whole thing, but that kind of ask this question, well, you know, what is it about my life or my world that, that is sort of pushing me in a sedentary direction? Um, maybe it's not all of my friends. Maybe it's, you know, this, this one group of friends that just wants to kind of hang out and play video games. And, and maybe I can come up with a way to, you know, sort of spend a little less time with them and a little more time with the runners. Um, and that, that kind of sets you on a, a better course. The first two, first one is diet. Um, that's the most popular on the list. And then second is exercise, which is kind of related, right? Right. Um, I guess you could eat healthy, but not exercise. Right. And then it's about getting into a new routine and having social motivators to help yeah. push you. Yeah, social motivators are good. Um, I think with both diet and exercise, they're kind of interesting because they are um, often with exercise. That's an example of, of what we would call an approach goal. It's saying, you know, there's something I want to do. I want to approach, right? I want to, you know, exercise more. I'm kind of positing a new behavior. Um, and sometimes those are those can be a little bit easier um, than, on the other hand, usually dieting is, is it can be an, what we would call an avoidance goal which is, well, I want to eat less, you know, junk foods, or I want to eat less unhealthy food. Um, and so there, sometimes there's ways to, to do both. I mean, dieting, again, is a good example. It's like, well, well maybe I want to eat more uh, healthy foods. Um, and so with dieting in particular, just because of the way, you know, our physiology works, a successful way is to actually just forget about the junk food part. Don't even frame it as an avoidance goal. Think about it just as approach, right? Eat green leafy vegetables and more fruits and, you know, whole grains. And the, the extent to which you kind of eat more of those foods, you're going to eat less of the unhealthy foods just because we kind of have a fixed capacity usually for food, right? So that's the classic strategy of, well, eat, you know, eat the salad, eat a really big salad first. Um, and then even if you have something unhealthy coming after it, if you're already kind of full, you know, then, then you're going to eat less. Um, with exercise, that's, it doesn't work quite the same way with exercise. It's very much sort of um, approaching this new behavior. Um, and then with something like quitting smoking, for example, that can be, it's, it's almost a pure avoidance thing, right? It's just not do this behavior that I've been doing. Um, so there's important differences in, in those kinds of behaviors. Um, and the way we think about them can, can have a big impact. So it sounds like exercising may be easier than dieting. So it may be easier to exercise and lose weight that way than to tell yourself not to eat all the following foods or eat as much. Would that be a better maybe. approach to yeah. losing well, weight? Well, I, again, I'd caution. I mean, often, you know, exercise is worthy in its own right. Uh, physical activity is a healthy thing to do. It you know, decreases your risk for heart disease and cancers. Um, but uh, if you're trying to lose weight, um, the question of whether you should exercise more is actually complicated because people tend to tend to eat more when they exercise more. Uh, so a lot of people will actually gain weight um, when they start exercising. Um, for a number of reasons, you increase your calorie intake. Um, typically, you overshoot it. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I just went for a, a long run and it feels like I've burned a million calories. You know, well, you you probably haven't. <laughs> and then, but then you eat you know much more than you exercised. Um, I mean, another reason is you can actually build muscle mass depending on the kinds of exercise you're doing. So like I said, exercise is great. There's lots of good reasons to do it on its own. If you're trying to lose weight, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the, 
um, the best strategy. The best strategy. Okay. So the third most popular resolution is to save more and spend less, mm-hmm. which right. is probably harder now that you can do online shopping. Oh, yeah. It's so hard. And, and it's so hard because, you know, we're sort of working against our natural tendency to value rewards, uh, you know, immediate rewards over long-term rewards. That's something that um, seems to be kind of a fundamental feature of, of our psychology, of how we uh, we think. Um, and in some ways, it's adaptive, right? It's sort of like, well, you know, what do they say? Uh, two birds in hand is better than one in the bush, right? Which is the, the stuff that I have now, or no, it was the other way around, right? One, one in hand is better than two the bush, which is because I know I have this stuff. Um, and so, again, we, you know, the, the future is uncertain. You never know what's going to happen. Um, things that are right here now that are tangible uh, are, are kind of more, there's less uncertainty um, inherent to them. And that seems to be built in to the way we think about the world. And so that then presents a challenge to saving because it's like, well, I have this money now. Why should I save it for later? Uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Um, I'm not saying that's what people literally think, but I'm saying on some level that kind of logic is sort of built into the way we think. Um, so what psychologists call uh, temporal discounting or delay discounting, this idea that you know, rewards in the future are, are apparently to, to almost everybody worth less than, than equal rewards now. Um, so that's a challenge. Um, and again, it's it's this kind of um, the same principles though of behavior change apply, which is you want to have a cue, you want to engage in the behavior, then you want to reward yourself. Um, and so it, it might become ironic, but what you want to do is if you're if you're trying to build a habit of savings, is to actually give yourself an immediate reward for every time that you you know save for your future. It's an interesting challenge now in the sense that if you could reward yourself immediately. Why put it off, right? Mm-hmm. Instant gratification aspect where you can put it off, but then but it's there. Yeah, no, that's right. Right. And and that's uh, basically that's why it's so challenging. And I'd say that's a big factor why we have this, this huge um, savings crisis in the United States right now that we, you know, essentially almost everybody uh, or a huge number of people in the U.S. don't don't have enough savings. So I would imagine this is tougher than losing weight. Or do you I'm, think it's equally sure. challenging? Yeah, to compare. It's, it's a hard comparison. On the one hand, losing weight, you're kind of fighting your biology. Um, saving, you're fighting your, you're fighting your psychology. There's structural factors, right, that make it hard. You know, a lot of people can't save money just because they, they, don't, they don't have enough money um, to make ends meet now, um, which, is, which is a big problem. Um, but let's so, say you so, could save money. Yeah. So right. you would save money by giving yourself a challenge of not spending for a certain number of days or um, opportunities, and then you reward yourself by giving yourself something. Yeah, that's that's the way I would do it. Um, if I if I had to sort of do it manually, if you will, I mean, I think. Um, I'd say the easiest way is just to, to take the decision out of your own hands entirely. Um, this would be the equivalent of like, if you're trying to eat more healthily, just, you know, if you can afford it, hire a chef, right? Hire somebody to make all your food for you, make all the decisions about what you eat for you. I don't think most people would sort of love to do that, even if they, they could afford it. But sort of the equivalent of that, right? That would be easy, which is like, well, I, don't, I never eat unhealthy things because that's just never an option. Um, with savings, there's so many good uh, technological tools now where you can, you know, you sort of save, the, the savings happens before you even um, get your paycheck, for example, or, you know, you can have things automatically deducted from your bank account. So then the, the rule becomes, well, I can basically spend whatever I have in this, you know, in this pot, kind of knowing that, that my long-term savings has already been uh, kind of squared away. So just don't don't even make it a decision that like each month I need to choose to save money. Um, that's going to be that's going to be difficult. So you're saying that just have a strategy of setting something aside early and then not think about it, not touch it, right. and then just spend what you have after that. That's probably the right. best way to do it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, essentially, what what you're doing is you're making like a single 
decision, right? One decision to say, you know, enroll in this program that automatically does these deductions, you know, and I'd say, you know, almost anybody could do that one time. <laughs> we could sort of muster the will to just one time make this good decision and then it's done, right? And then just leave it and, and kind of everything else after that you can spend uh, on impulse to your heart's desire, but, but still know that you're, you're saving. Okay, one more resolution that's common, which is learning a new skill or hobby. It kind of falls mm-hmm. off, right, over time. What's that's your suggestion? Yeah. That one, so learning new skills, I mean, I think usually it's a few things um, that, that are related to some of the principles that we've already discussed. So one is um, this idea that the behavior needs to be rewarded. And at first, usually uh, we're bad at new things, right? So there's a, na- a kind of a natural barrier, which is I try to do something new and I fail or, you know, maybe I'm learning knitting and the first thing that I knit is, is really ugly. And then it's just like, okay, well, so you're not getting rewarded in that sense. So that's a barrier. Uh, so thinking about how we can set goals, you know, small goals um, or so that we can reward incremental progress, even if we're not getting to our final goal. And then the other thing is is planning, which, um, that even if you're learning and you feel like you're making progress, it's still a fairly large change in our behavior because what you're doing is you're setting aside time to, to do this new thing that you and, and you hadn't set that time aside before. So unless you plan very concretely about you know exactly when I'm going to do this, um, then it's not going to happen. So things where goals where it's sort of like, well, in my spare time, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to start to learn this, are not, I would say, not very well formulated um, because they depend on you then kind of in the moment making decisions to, to do something new or different or something that you haven't done before, um, which is, is going to, you know, those are the hardest kinds of choices to make. So if you can plan out ahead and really kind of block out time or block out avenues for yourself to engage in that behavior, um, that's going to position you to be successful. So it sounds like it's about prioritizing time, making sure you prioritize for it. Yes, I would say it's about prioritization. But even the next step, I mean, even more than just asking what does it mean to prioritize, right? Does it mean, hey, anytime I have 20 minutes, I'm going to sort of do this instead of that other thing? Or does it really mean like, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put it on my calendar so that, you know, even if I have no free time today, it's actually blocked out, right? I've already taken the step to, to reserve the time in advance. Um, so, you know, I think we can say, you know, I'll prioritize something without really thinking through what that means or how, how that's actually going to happen, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then it's the, it's the practice, right? That falls off because every time you're learning something new, you have to take the time to practice each day. Right. And then to make that time to practice each day and be committed right. exactly. to it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, it's about, you know, if it's more than just prioritizing, if it really comes down to planning and, and squaring away that time each day, coming up with a plan that is, that's actually feasible and workable in your life is, is, can be really important. And in an ongoing basis, as you said, because learning usually, whatever it is, usually takes a while. Okay, time for a short break. We'll turn more on successfully fulfilling your personal goals and habits in the new year. Support for KXSF comes from The Music Store, an independent record store located in San Francisco's West Portal Business District. For more than two decades, The Music Store has featured two floors filled with music and movies, bins and bins of vintage vinyl, new and used CDs and tapes, and rare, hard-to-find DVDs and videos. You can pick up a replacement record needle and even learn to play the guitar all on the same visit. The Music Store, located at 66 West Portal Avenue. Thanks for supporting KXSF 102.5 FM, San Francisco. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Elliot Berkman and I were talking about the top 
resolutions for most people in the new year before the break. And we were talking about how it's about prioritization, planning, and taking small steps towards your goal. Um, what about genetics? Do you think genetic genetics play a role in how you are successful in your goals and personal habits? This is a, a, a contentious one uh, or potentially controversial, but I would say, um, yes, ab- absolutely. Um, genetics do play a role and they could play a role on, on a number of different levels. Um, we can start with maybe the less controversial, so the, the kind of goal-specific way that genetics might play out, um, right, the goal-specific ways, which is, you know, we, there, there's well-established uh, genes or, you know, groups of genes that are involved in different behaviors. So, for example, um, eating or uh, alcohol use or uh, nicotine, nicotine addiction. In fact, we know that there's different genes that uh, predispose someone to become more likely to become addicted to nicotine, um, other genes, different ones, um, that will predispose somebody to kind of uh, maintain that pattern of addiction, and still other genes that are related to making it easy or difficult to, uh, to, to break that addiction, to overcome addiction to nicotine. Um, this is fairly well established in the literature, and there, there are similar patterns with other drugs of abuse, um, with, with alcohol, um, with, you know, food, for example, the way food tastes and, and how rewarding food feels. So in almost any kind of behavior, uh, you could identify, and, you know, people have identified genes or patterns of genes that might make it easier or harder for somebody to change the way they, they engage with that behavior. I'd say on, the, on a kind of higher level, broader level, like are there genes that make someone good or bad at, at goals in general, um, I mean, there, I'd, I'd say that it's, it's more that the jury is still out. Um, you know, would, would it surprise me to learn um, that there was some gene or group of genes that, that sort of coded for whether it was easy for me to uh, create a new habit, for example? Um, no, I mean, you know, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all, um, given how kind of important habit formation is uh, to human survival. I'm sure there's, there's lots of aspects of our biology that's, that's linked to habit formation. What I would say, you know, even if I'm, let's suppose there are genes, and let's suppose I'm a person that has, you know, the genes that make it hard for me to change that particular behavior for whatever reason. I'd say that, you know, human behavior is quite complicated. Um, I'm certain that there's no gene that codes for a specific behavior per se, right? It's, it's not like there's some gene for, um, you know, physical activity, right? There might be genes that, that code for, well, how, how, you know, for example, how painful does something feel? But you didn't mention that some people have higher pain tolerance or threshold than others, right? If you have, right, I would exactly. imagine if you have higher pain threshold, then you can take on more and you're, you can push yourself harder. That's right. Yeah. And there's, there's genes. So I guess the way to think about it is there's genes that code for these sort of very low level aspects of human behaviors, like pain or, um, or the, the way something tastes, right? Sure. It's, I, I can imagine that there's genes for, you know, how reinforcing is a, a sugary beverage, right? That, that, there might be some gene that kind of indicates, hey, when I have a Coke, it feels really good versus somebody else. Maybe it doesn't quite feel as good. Um, pain's another good example. Right, all those things. But again, there's no gene that codes for that whole behavior of like, well, you know, having a lifelong habit to, uh, you know, eat too much sugar. Right? There's no gene for that. Right? Genes code for lower level things. And humans are really creative. Right? We can always come up with, with new solutions to problems. So for me, the way to think about it is, yeah, I mean, my, my pattern of genes might make it, you know, slightly easier or slightly harder to change this behavior. But they, they're never deterministic in, in that sense about our behavior. That even if I'm a person where sugary beverages taste great and change is really hard and, you know, breaking habits is really hard, according to my genes, I can still do it, right? I can still sort of, I can, I can engage other things, right? I can plan. I can use tools. I could, for example, um, there's products on the market right now that, um, that it's like a, a, it actually looks like candy. Um, but it blocks your uh, the sugar receptors, the sweetness receptors. Oh, I like uh, that in your mouth. 
<laughs> yeah, um, it's, I think it's called Candy Crush, actually, um, or Sugar Crush, something like that. Um, and so then it's like, okay, well now you know I basically use this this tool to kind of overcome my genetic limitation, if you will. Um, so sure, maybe you know this these sweets would taste really good to me, but I can you know I can make a decision to just you know use this tool to overcome that. It's um, interesting that you mentioned so, that because sugar is there. Well, sugar is very addictive, right? Even if let's mm-hmm. say you say I want to eat less sugar, if you just have a taste, you're going to crave it. Wouldn't yeah. you say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, sugar and over eating less sugar would be you know that's a good goal. I'd encourage that. Um, you know, for almost uh, you know any disease we've looked at, um, and and certainly in terms of weight and obesity, uh, you know, so cutting out sugar is a great thing to do. Um, but easier said than done. I mean, I think for cutting on sugar, you'd need to think about all of these things that we've talked about, which is I need to plan, like, how is that actually going to happen? And, you know, I do some introspection. Well, what is sugar really doing for me? You know, when I go for that sugary food or beverage, you know, what function does it serve for me? Um, and, and, you know, and, and really kind of taking a look at sort of how, how I can fulfill that function some other way, how I can sh- change the, the sort of structure of my world so that I don't encounter it as often. Um, ultimately, a lot of these tips boil down to this interesting question of how do I, how do I change my life so that I don't have to constantly make the decision to eat sugar or not, right? Or whatever the behavior is. I don't, I don't want to be faced with that decision of like right now, I could either choose to um, you know, do the thing that I've always been doing in the past or I could try to choose to do the new thing as I said, more often than not, when you're directly faced with that kind of decision, um, you know, you're, it's sort of a recipe for, for failure um, because of the way habits work. There's such a, a pull towards the old behavior that what you really want to do is just avoid that decision entirely. Just make it so that you, you rarely ever have to actually make that choice. But could you do that by creating a native cue for yourself? Like every time you think about sugar, or you think about something negative and pairing that to make it easier for you to like kind of have a negative response to it. I mean, could you train yourself to just think negatively about certain things so that you avoid it, right? Yeah, you can, you can do that. And, uh, you know, certainly that's that old trick of, you know, put a rubber band around your wrist and snap yourself and you think a certain way. Um, I think um, that, that can work in the short run um, with, with punishments. Uh, like that, you know, thinking negatively or having a negative experience, um, they, uh, they'll prevent the behavior when you know there's going to be a punishment that happens. But once the punishment stops, um, they don't really endure much longer than that, um, which is why people usually try to do the flip, right? It's like, actually, what you want to do is reward yourself for the, uh, for the, for the new behavior, for the thing you want to do. Um, because habits are formed based on rewards and habits aren't necessarily formed based on punishments. You know, if you want to create a habit, you, it's, it's about rewards. But don't rewards die off too and you have to keep giving yourself rewards to make it work? Yeah, every, every once in a while. But I would say compared to punishments, rewards endure longer. Um, and hopefully what they can do is they can get you past that initial hump, right? That initial sort of behavior change is so hard and I need to think about what I'm doing. If you can get past that stage and sort of start to form the good habit that you want, um, then that kind of buys you a little time. It gives you some runway uh, to, to continue to restructure your world so that um, you're not tempted by that, that old behavior. To wrap up, set a plan, take baby steps. Mm-hmm. They should be realistic, correct? Yes. And, how and many... realistic, yes. That that's going to be individualized, right? What's realistic, sort of, in your lived experience? And how much time do you think? So I always hear twenty-one days. If you do something for twenty-one days, it'll stick. And you you had mentioned that it depends on what it is, but you have to give yeah, yourself enough time. I would imagine before the habit changes or breaks, or you move on to. If you feel like you're moving forward to new goal. Yeah, that's right. You know, 21 days or even 14 days, right? The first two to three weeks, that's sort of that initial phase where 
I, I would say you don't even really expect to have your new habit yet, but expect to or hope to um, try to have changed your behavior. Um, so that's where planning might come in. I would say let's plan out the first two to three weeks of exactly what you're going to do. How do we sort of get this off the ground? Maybe it's two to three months after that, to, which, which would be, hey, if I keep doing this behavior for two to three months um, and reinforcing it with cues, right, that's when I can sort of start to say, yeah, I've got this down on, on, a, on a habitual basis. Um, <clears throat> and then, after, you know, beyond that still, that's maybe the kind of maintenance phase. And then rewards is about small, meaningful, not actual things. It doesn't have to be, you know, it could be something you enjoy doing. That's right. Yeah. Personal, personal. You know, we're humans are social creatures and, um, you know, we, we learn from each other very powerfully. We can help each other. Um, and, and we feel very accountable to each other. So that's something that can cut both ways, right? It can promote the old behavior, but if you kind of strategically think about your social world and recruit your social resources, that can that can actually help you change as well. Social support is the last component of where it could just make everything come together stronger in reaching your goal. That's right. And you and specifically thinking about social approval, for example. Social media sounds like it could be a great tool where you could say, I've set this goal. And then you can come back and you can say, I met my goal. And then you, not just approval, but you get support. You have people cheering you on. Um, so that could be a good way to, to put yourself out there and make sure you're committed. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it can be a tool for commitment, right, or what, what we sometimes call pre-commitment. Um, and then it can be, you know, like before the goal. Social media or, you know, social networks in general can be a tool for uh before you start, right, committing or announcing your goal, um, and then you, you then kind of feel obligated to your social network. Um, and then afterwards, right, as you're making progress, um, to, to the extent that you're making progress, you can use it as a, as a reward, as a reinforcer. That's great advice, and um, it sounds like that's probably the way to go in terms of making sure that you have to sustain support. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that could be a, a kind of a linchpin in in your um, goal pursuit and in maintaining goals, yeah. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Dr. Berkman. Okay. Thank you for having me.